I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Welcome to the final episode in 2018 of Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Pictures have thrown up a few surprises on the way. Leicester Tigers have finally confirmed Jordan Murphy as their permanent head coach and the premiership table continues to be congested as ever, especially at the bottom. Here to discuss it all, we have the world and Olympic champion coach Ben Ryan. Hello Ben, how are you? I'm great, thanks Brian. Good Christmas? Yeah, good Christmas, yeah. Getting over it slowly. Fair enough, yeah. Quiet, noisy, rowdy? No, it was really quiet, really quiet. Um, getting older. Okay, well, look, the big game. I, I've been to, ne- I didn't go to this one, but I've been to nearly every big game. And for some reason, habitually, they turn out not to be very good. I don't know mm. why. I don't know whether players are overawed by the occasion, but it's a shame because they get nearly you know, 80,000 there. And I don't think this was a particularly great game. Quinn's coming out on top, but the big talking point, Dave Ward, who, if you look on social media, that is, which is never conclusive, to a spat at Thomas Hugan and trod on his ankle. He has raised him and saying he apologises unreservedly for his yellow card, and, but he did not spit on the player, regardless of what the footage looked like. I haven't done that in all my career, never do so. It's a disgusting act. I mean, it's not cowardly, as some people said. It's no, just it's disgusting. Not. Yeah, is if he did it and, you know, yeah, you're, look, the, the footage doesn't look good. He stepped on someone's foot on purpose, something that probably back in the late 80s and early 90s as an amateur player as a scrum half so we did it at every time just to size up the opposite man and see what you could get away with but the game's professional now and mm. and spitting is yeah I mean it's disgusting and should get a long ban if that's happened but Dave has said he didn't do it and um, social media can you know you can uh, see something coming out of his mouth he can't see where it was aimed he can't see where it landed so no, they've got uh, 17 cameras around the pitch though exactly. so, you, so you think <laughs> yeah. they'd get a decent and Di Young the uh Director of Rugby at Was said, look, we've seen the stamp. There's no need for that rubbish in the game. It's hard enough without all that nonsense. And, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I absolutely agree mm-hmm. with him. What will come out of the stamp, I don't know. Whether or not there'll be anything further, I'm not sure. Uh, but not necessary. Bath, Leicester, both sides needing a win. Leicester probably more so. But uh, what do you make of Bath this year? I mean, we'll be going into full year review later on. But they're annoyingly, frustratingly inconsistent. They are, they were, I mean, they hit a purple patch in this game where for 20 minutes with the crowd on their back and at the wreck and the sun was dropping and it really was a good atmosphere and they had their tails up. It was it was an old Bath-Leicester game for a while there and, and Bath looked brilliant, but they've just been undulating a little bit too much. I like Todd Blackadder's style. I think he's always been under a lot of pressure from the owner to, to make sure he's getting results and... But they are playing well at home, but they're just a bit like a lot of the teams at the moment. Is it inconsistency or is it just that there's a lot of competition in the league at the moment and on their day, someone pops up and Interesting view. provides a good performance? Well, no doubt uh, that your particular theory there is borne out by the Saints beating the Chiefs. I mean, 31-28, yeah. no one saw that coming extra, still top of the table. And the Saints, again, struggling for... Um, some kind of form, but it wasn't a lucky win. 
it wasn't. I thought they played really well, and you know, it shows you it does take time. Even some of the caliber of Chris Boyd to to settle in with Saints. Um, and I thought the post match interviews, um, especially with, with Exeter, you know, is is such an such an honest coach. And you know, I like that actually. Oh. He doesn't seek to blame referees. <sighs> It's just what you should do. You always look first at yourself. And if there's nothing more you could have done, either defence or attack, and you consider the referee has made a difference, then you might, just might have a case. But that's hardly ever the case, is it? You can look at your own performance and think, if we had have scored that, if we hadn't have let that in, and the difference is very rarely the referee. Too right, but but if you actually go back and what and I you know I I, I kind of like I'm a bit geeky and watch the coaches and what they talk about and how they come across and there are quite a few that will come out and immediately say they didn't get the right result or the rubber the all that stuff he doesn't he doesn't do that he actually talked about how they got carried away after the Saracens game probably shouldn't have had a Christmas party and uh, <laughs> as a result yeah. of that Saints deserved to win but Exeter didn't perhaps throw all their pun- all the punches they could have done in that game I, I just thought I just think he's just that simply outstanding as a head coach. Well, Sarri's have quite a narrow win over Worcester. There's a lot of discussion on what will happen to Alex Good if Elliot Daly arrives. Will they play Daly at 15? I would doubt they're looking at him at 15 if they've got Good there. No, I don't think so either. And like, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've said on record a lot that I think Elliot Daly is a world-class 13. There's something about him at the moment that he doesn't look happy. No. And he doesn't look like... He, looks he, very, he, he looked he, very frustrated in the Watts yeah. Quinn's game. And, it, and it, just, it just translates into his play because he doesn't, he's not playing with that freedom. And occasionally you see him with a defender, maybe two defenders in front of him. He's got the ball. He's shifted. He's outside broke. He, he, he's done what's so hard as that outside break as a 13. He does it effortlessly sometimes. And other times he disappears in the game. He's not... A, he is a great fullback, but he's not... I don't think and that's he's disarmingly future. quick, isn't he? He doesn't look... <laughs> You know that rapid, but you know when it's only when you see him with players around him that you realise he does have a turn of speed. Yeah, and if you kind of for me, I don't look at his long range kicking. He's got that power. He's got that kind of posterior chain. You know, he's got he's got that ability where he gets he's, he got posterior what? chain. So like that's being polite. He's got a large ass and uh, <laughs> and, and his hamstrings are, are well developed. Oh. But it kind of means that when he gets past the defence, you kind of work out thing. Well, what's he done to do that? It yeah. doesn't. But he's there. He's gone through. He's quality, but there's he's not doesn't look happy on the field. He needs moment. to settle on the position, I think, because at the moment he's suffering from his club and his country. You're saying, well, look, do a job there first, because we know you can. Yeah. And whilst that will bring him caps, because he's always available to play in various positions, he'll never get the recognition, I don't think, that he deserves until he nails a, a place down. And I don't think England or whichever club he ends up at will actually get the best out of him either. Yeah, no, no, I can't I can't add to that. You're exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Well, Bristol uh, edging out Newcastle. I mean, it's a, it's a strange table, isn't it? You know, the gap starting to form, bottom two, Newcastle and Worcester, five points separating them from 10th place Bristol. But then you look up and there are only five points between the next seven teams. It's, it's strange with the, with the top two of size and Chiefs. And I, I actually think that probably reflects exactly what the sides are. Those two at the, the top two are just more consistent. than the, the, They've got better squads all round. And that middle seven or six are capable of playing well, but also capable of, of, of just not, 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 not turning up, but just not doing the things accurately enough, enough of the time. Yeah. I think like, I mean, a good example would be someone like Quinns who, 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 who have definitely improved. I mean, Guzzi, 
but you know he's gone from saying it's almost the most disappointing um, week or performance to then beating Wasps in the big game, mm-hmm. and um, it shows you know it's so tight. If you look at that and you do see well, particularly Worcester and Bristol at ten and eleven, they're not going to get hit hard in Six Nations for international call ups. Yeah. That's going to perhaps pay in their favour when you look at those around them. Newcastle will, and less, not to less extent, but they will. But and Tigers and, and Wasps certainly will. I could see, I could see Worcester and Bristol winning more home games and pushing themselves away from that. Well, Sale were uh, languishing at the bottom of the table. They got their first away win in the Premiership season. It was a big win down at Kingston, thirty points to fifteen. On the line to talk to us about this is the former Sale England and Lions winger Mark Coeto. Hello, Mark. Hello, lads. You all right? Yeah, happy Christmas to you and all that. Uh, You too. I always thought that when Sale were bottom of the table, that it was a temporary thing because they've got too much quality. How close are they getting to to utilising what's a very, you know, dangerous, they've got a dangerous back three. The clerk is very good. How close are they to to, to finding that little bit of accuracy and consistency which might, might see them challenge for a playoff place? I think certainly the last two weeks you know, for me, have been the the best two performances that the team have had all season. The start of the season was was very slow for us, you know, with whether it was injuries or suspensions or, you know, Fafter Clerk, who's a massive key part in in what this team does. He was away for the first seven or eight fixtures in the season with South Africa, which which didn't help. So we, we got off to a really poor start, you know, and things seemed to be, starting to click um you know obviously bristol at home you know two you go back two weeks and you know you're a point off i know the league's very tight and and it's still tight now but i think there was four point two weeks ago there was four points separating sixth and, and bottom in, bottom in the league so that bristol game for us at home two weeks ago was you know it it, it was a relegation scrap effectively yeah. you know and and as i said the boys Put on a brilliant performance, um, you know. Credit to to Bristol; they they were they were tough. They were good on the day and and denied us of a of a bonus point. But then um, to back it up, you know, this weekend down at down at King's Own, which isn't an easy place to to go and play in front of the shed and in front of you know fifteen sixteen mad Gloucester fans. But to get a bonus point win down there for the lads, got to be a huge confidence booster. And some of the some of the the tries they scored, some of the play, you know scoring a draw, driving more, you know against Gloucester, Gloucester's you know huge. So, you know I'm sure the lads will be will be confident. But again, you know you you never sort of out of a out of a scrap, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, certainly this season, anyway. You know you, two weeks and you you're back up into mid table, but certainly um, you know two poor performances and you you're back down near the bottom. So. I think confidence is high. There's obviously some big announcements this week. You know, Fafter Clerk's re-signed, and you know, an extension of his contract, so he's going to be here for the next four seasons, including the rest of this one. So, um, you know, recruitment's going well. Boys are finding their feet on the field. Um, So hopefully, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll all come together. um, You know, and we'll finish in the right position in the league. The clerk is a, a huge announcement. It's a tremendous coup for the club. Just let me finish uh, quickly with this question for you, Mark. Look, you're in an area which is dominated. Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton. You know, it's a huge hotbed of Premier League and actually Football League. And yeah. you've got to contend with that. Be- bearing that in mind, how, how do you think the club are doing crowd-wise, 
you know, we, we, you're trying to grow things like that because it must be a struggle. Yeah. It is a struggle, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm four years retired now. And, you know, I suppose as a player, you, you're never going to be aware of the challenges. But, you know, I'm certainly, certainly aware of, of how much of a struggle it is. I think, although we are in a massively football-dominated region, there is equally a huge sort of rugby contingent in the area. You know, we have an initiative that we actually launched two years ago with a hundred of our amateur rugby clubs that are all within a 30 mile radius. So within that 30 mile radius, there's 40,000 members of these rugby clubs. So we know there's a, a rugby interest um, and we know there's there's a target audience there um, and it's just giving them the right reasons to, to come and support. You know, I, I remember back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was when we, when we won the league, and we're averaging ten and a half, eleven thousand every week, and I think that's that sport on a whole. You know, fans. You have your you have your hardcore fan base that are going to come, whether you're winning, losing, or or drawing. You know, whether it's pouring down or or whatever the conditions, whatever the results. But to get a full house regularly, you need you need a successful team, and um, that's certainly something that we're building at the moment. Mark, we'll let it go there. Thank you for your contributions throughout this year. Have a great 2019, mate. Cheers, Brian. You too, mate. Hello. Well, of course, Steve Diamond, the sale director of rugby, well, he could be in trouble, could face a three-match suspension if he's reported following a heated round with the Independent and Sunday Times journalist Sam Peters, who I know quite well, mm. a decent bloke. And I know Steve very well. Steve was an exact contemporary of mine, hooked right. against him. He's a fiery character, but de- but fundamentally, I think he's a decent bloke as well. Well, this has gone on for a while now. Um, I think Peter's wrote an article that Diamond didn't like. I mean, interestingly, if it didn't take place at Sale, it took place at Gloucester yeah. in the press room. And purportedly, Diamond offering not necessarily to go outside, but step outside and talk about it, then allegedly tried to grab his microphone and calling him X, Y, Z. The whole thing unsavoury, it's on social media. What did you make of it? <laughs> I thought well yeah unsavory is okay and and what timing that this all comes up when sale probably had their best away performance for years yeah. you know they played some blinding stuff against a really really good gloucester side and then at the end of all of that all of this sort of happens and and we've seen this more creeping into rugby over the last year two years where there's been as much off field as on field at times and i think we should be applauding characters in the game and i like i like to see people say what they think but then there's also a point where you know, if it's true that, you know, some of the stuff that, that you hear that Steve says in the stands, the arguments that I, that I saw in there, and then, you know, look, we're, we're always going to get journalists that don't like us, that say things. But I tell you what, say at Leicester, say at Gloucester, if you have coaches sat in the middle of crowds, they're going to hear a lot said. And you know as well as I do, a lot of uninformed things are said, yep. a lot of personal things are said, not nowhere near like football, but still things that are, are either untrue or unpleasant. I think. Coaches should be given specific areas away from the crowds. I mean, they should not d- be sat in the middle of crowds. It's a, good, it's a good point, but then, like you know, I've sat, I've sat in the stadium at Brentford behind the away coach and Steve Bruce when he was at Aston Villa got ninety minutes of massive abuse, and he didn't turn around once, not once. And I've seen, I've never seen a, an away manager get irate, and they're still getting it. It's part of your job. You've got to take the higher ground. And you've got to co- fo- focus on what you're trying to do, and eventually people will stop doing that. And I, and I, you know, for me, it looks unacceptable from someone that's at the top of the job and, and is in charge. Um, and we'll wait and see how it unfolds. But it doesn't look good. 
um, it doesn't look good for the, for, for rugby and our values. And I mean, if we the, go the, back the, to that... The, the, the thing I'd say you know, for Steve Diamond is, look, this is a battle you're not going to win against the press because they will always write and they will always broadcast and there's not a lot you can do about it. And No, and, and whether, well, whatever he thinks, if he thinks Sam Peters, who also I know, and I think he's a, he's a, he's a genuinely straight-up bloke, and a good guy. Like I remember, remember, I got told this advice once that there's always going to be one person that whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is, they they love you. It's normally your mum or your mate. There's always somebody that doesn't I'm matter still what. Still looking. You, yeah. <laughs> there's always someone that, that that's always going to think that you rubbish. And it's those two in the middle that that will judge you on actually what you're doing. And you've just got to accept that. And he's been around the game for such a long time that he knows he's going to have people that that criticise him. You know that he he does rub people up the wrong way and he, you know, he's very black and white in what he does. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but he's got to then understand the wider picture and and uh, you can't protect people from the consequences of their actions and he's gone one step too far here on the same weekend where Dave Ward's gone one step too far and you can understand some of the, the various things around it, but ultimately don't protect them by, from their consequences of their actions. They've got to face up to what they've done. Well, a final comment for me, um, I, you know, I don't want to uh, be too hypocritical about it. When I was in that position, I probably wasn't um, as diplomatic as I should have been. And I understand the frustrations. I'm not in that position anymore. I'm a long time retired and I can take slightly a different view. And I just come back to it. This is something, if you continue with it, it's never going to go away. And there's no end. There's nothing, you, there's nothing you can do that will resolve it. All you can do is make it last longer. The way to make it go away is just to ignore it if you want to. 2019 is almost upon us, but 2018 actually was a really interesting year. Given that it was a year that precedes the World Cup, there were a lot of things throughout the year that were uh, taken as portents. I don't know how much you can take or not. I mean, what? How would you sum up England's year? It's it's definitely been a mixed bag. You know, going from the lows of that string of defeats to and going to South Africa and then starting to get a little bit momentum back and then having that first what was it, 50 minutes against the All Blacks, where they, they you know, they, they played so well that, that it's frustrating, isn't it? It's, it's seeing those moments of, of outstanding play where you think this is a team that can win the World Cup to then seeing some very kind of rudderless moments in the games as well. And maybe that's down to just not putting the same side on the field all the time and not having that continuity because we've got the players and we have got, you know, however, where, whatever anyone thinks about Eddie, he's a world-class coach and he's got good coaches around him. They are going to be there, thereabouts. They've yeah. kind of just got to, get, got to get their stuff in order. You know, well, I said, you know, when you get Rob Shaw and Billy Vinopolo back, when mm. Mako Vinopolo is available, you add to that maybe uh, 11 of the players that started against New Zealand, and you've actually got, mm. for the first time in a long time, England might go into a World Cup with a starting 15 that has well over 600 caps, and we've discussed this before, mm-hmm. the immutable statistic in all the teams that have won the World Cup is that they've got that number of caps. No one's ever managed it without, and there's a reason for that. There is, yeah. I'd like to drill down on that a little bit more as well on those caps and see whether there's anything within that statistic. You know, We talked, for example, about the big game at the weekend. Was it the fact that there's such a big house and there was a lack of experience on the field and it got too much and... It's a bit like varsity matches in the old days, full house, and they're totally rubbish games because you just get, you know, just not used to it. I wonder if that 600 caps, there's some other key statistics as far as 
you know, those build-ups to big games and four houses and live TV and the pressure on that, that the players have got in the bank on a number of occasions within that 600, whether you can pull out something else as well. Well, the good thing you can pull out from the 600s, if you if you started with Hartley and Youngs mm. and Farrell, mm. daily maybe at fullback, you're starting to get the spine of the team with a lot of caps, which is good. Yeah. You know, the 15, yeah. 10, 12, 8, Benavidia Paula. You know, once you've got that, a lot of things fall into place. If you add together, and I don't know which way we'll go, but if you are starting to look at players like Teo Tuolangi, Joe Thokina Senior, then you've got a lot of power as well with Daly and May. You've got a lot of speed. Mm. So there's, a, there's, there's enough room. I think they've finished on a much more optimistic note than, than, they, the, you know, than the Six Nations certainly started. At yeah. that point, I wondered how far away they were going to be. Now I think they're still not exactly where they want to be, but they're much closer. They are, and it actually, like, there's a great point about that spine because if you then went, well, who's your second choice spine? And you've got your, your Danny Cares and and, Brown, your, and, your, and and yeah, and and George at, at Hooker, yes. who's played you know three Lions Test matches, and and, and you go down that, and you got Manu Ford at fly off, yeah, Ford, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he wouldn't be in my squad, but and then Tuilangi at twelve, yeah, you've and you've got Ashton as well there. Mm-hmm. You, you're right, you're right, but we just, I mean, I'd love to see then in, in this Six Nations just. Keep putting out, try to put out that same side. Injuries to the to one side, yeah. just don't keep changing around on selection. And because I mean, it doesn't look, it doesn't matter whether people can predict your fifteen or not. They still got to play against it. Still got to yeah. stop it. That's it, and that's the same. And New Zealand and Ireland won't be worrying about that at all. No, and well, two thousand and eighteen was Ireland's, wasn't it? Yeah, all all over, all over the place. You know, Leinster wise and internationally, phenomenal, really. Phenomenal, um, and I think you know, like we might talk about some coaches and and their off-field antics, but you don't see that with Joe Schmidt. You just see somebody that that just works hard. As you know, said he's maybe stepping out of the game after the World Cup. Has put a group around him that know exactly what's going on. They've got a great system where they can rest players when they want to. They have central contracts. You know, we might have this question later, but you know that you've got to have them as serious contenders now for the World Cup. They don't, I mean, they don't quite yet have the influence at national level as regards the way that teams like Leinster and the provinces play that New Zealand do. Not quite no, yet, no. Because as you know, in New Zealand, they regularly meet the top mm. super uh, rugby coaches mm. and the national coaches, and they all agree that you know this area, that area needs working on, and they still have their own freedom to play with whatever players they've got, obviously. But they all understand that if there is a particular need for the national side, we'll, we'll fill that. And probably, probably by the way, if, if that's a need for the national side, it's probably a need for everyone else as well because yeah. they're very inventive. I, I can see Ireland getting to that stage as well, and that will be enormously beneficial. I've started already to see the kind of the petals from that where you take Joey Carberry, you know, who was a backup, backup for Leinster at 10. They moved him to Munster to get a regular starting slot. And that was an Irish rugby decision that moved him across. And they knew that World Cups they've been hit by. If you do lose your first choice 10, they need someone that's playing regularly. And if Carberry's your man, he can't be sitting on the bench and then coming on. So they've already started to begin that process. And, and I don't think we need, you know, well, there's two people. You've you've obviously got the the head coach Schmidt that's that's doing a lot of stuff as well. But you've also got David Nusifora there, that's the high performance coach that's come in from Australia and running all of that, and he's had a big impact as well. And he he's a fine man doing a very good job. What have you been hearing? I mean, I've been hearing nothing but positive things about Stuart Lancaster's role at Leinster. Oh, totally. Me too. And it's because he's a he's a great coach and a good bloke, <laughs> yeah. and he's not having to spend seventy percent of his time talking to the media. Yeah. You know, he gets on with what he's good at, which is relationships with players 
on-field excellence of coaching and consistency. And, you know, you, I hang out and do various things with, with Brian O'Driscoll and he will always talk about how the Leicester players hold him in the highest of regard. Mm. They think he's one of the best coaches they've, they've had. I mean, the thing is, he will get another national coaching job. Mm. And the experience that he had in the World Cup of failure, which is one of the things that Clive Woodward said uh, when he went down in 99, you learn such a lot from that that would be useful if you were allowed the chance to, to, to put it into practice. But quite often... It's the death knell of a, an international coach, certainly in England. Yeah, and it's, it's this whole, you know, and I don't really like it. It happens in international sport, it happens in politics. It's this four-year cycle stuff, you know, and that it just it just restricts people. Mm. And uh, if he was given an eight, you know, it, it's all in the past now and we can all say what happened and what, what fell over at 2015. Ultimately, you're right, he'll become an, an international, if he, did, if he wants to, because we are getting closer to that the same point in football where, where the top managers don't want the England job. You know, and we've already had that from from our some of the club club coaches. They don't want to be the next England coach after Eddie. So you know, there's an argument. You might not want to do that and continue to to do what he's doing at club level. Would you look past the uh, World Rugby selection of Johnny Sexton's Player of the Year? I, I don't think there's much argument. The, the, look, there are, on these, it's always subjective. Yeah. They always make cases, but he's been so central to what Ireland have done. You know, he may not have dominated games, but he is the fulcrum around which everything. He's based. Yeah, he is. I mean, look, I'm a huge fan of Bowden Barrett. I just think he's just just exceptional. Uh, he would have just certainly been knocking on the door there. But Goal kicking, not tremendous. No, actually. no, no. You're right. But as far as open play, his ability to break the tightest of defences, he defends well. Organ. I mean, he he really can change a game. However, you know, the moment for me probably of the of the season was after, what, 17 phases, dropped goal in France oh. to, to win that. And everything changed for Ireland after that moment. Yeah. Massive pressure. And to do that... Yeah, and it also included that cross kick as well. Yeah. Which was a, a tactical gamble, but yeah. not only did he have the, well, the cojones to, to make the call, he ended it right. You know, they were a long way out. He got them down the field, got them into position. So, that, you know, that... Um, if we were looking at best performance of the year internationally? I'm massively biased and I was just so thrilled for the people that I know over in Fiji beating France at the oh. Stad. Just a big, big result for them. And it just shows, give give these teams time and that they've got the ability and they've got the coaches and, and oh. they they and that, that was that was a lovely moment for me. And I think I'd probably pick out uh, Ireland's win over New Zealand, not mm. because it, it was spectacular, but because for the first time, I thought that Ireland had a grip on the game, didn't let it go. Not that it couldn't, they couldn't have lost, but actually the probability was that they weren't going to and indeed they didn't. And they, you, you've never said that before. No, that's the difference, isn't it? When you have a, you know, and I can think back, I can't remember when it was, when Kieran Bracken got stood on his foot by Zinzan Brook. And do you remember that? It was yeah. Jamie Joseph. I was uh, Jamie Joseph, there you go. But that was, that was, that was in, had been a long break of, of wins against New Zealand and it was always, we never, you know, you're never quite sure. And it, it went down, you know, I don't know why I thought about that game, but I guess in comparison to the Ireland game against the All Blacks where, like you said, they, they looked like they were going to win. This was not going to be a 99 times out of 100 on that Saturday. They would have probably done the same job. If we had to make predictions, and I suppose we do, about the Webb Ellis Trophy in Japan next year, I hate doing this because you never know what will happen injury-wise. You never know what will form-wise. There's still enough that can go right or wrong. I think New Zealand are probably still favourites. Yeah. And I think as what has almost every World Cup, we've had big injuries for big teams, almost. And like some have been, have, you know, so even the 2003 where I think Johnny Wilkinson had that, that moment where everyone was worried and Greenwood as well. And I think 
Dawson and we had, but they they got through it. The lack, the depth that the All Blacks and then Ireland have stand out probably. One-off performances with everybody at full strength. There's four or five teams probably. With you looking those two probably as just a bit above everyone else, and then Wales, England if they get everyone fit and they're consistent. I don't know about France. But who does? <laughs> no, I've got to be careful. Like, well, I haven't got to be careful what I say, but you know, I do work for them. Uh, on their day, they're out. They're you know, and they've got a good young coaching cohort with with the head coach that are working hard, and they have got some very good players. And they get they get their tails up. They've got they've got the person. Are they anywhere near sorting out their halfbacks though? I mean, this has always been the thing for me. It will all be down to just sticking with first choice in Six Nations. Whatever happens. I think they know. Will they their, do that? Though? I think. Well, they know in their heads who the, who the, who probably their first choices are. Yeah, but they've all, but they've probably always known. <laughs> what they've, they've done they, is a completely they, different. They've just matter. got to. They've just got to stick to it and not listen to the press and not listen mm-hmm. to everyone else. And because they, they, you know they, they they've got some excellent players and they've got some amazing youngsters coming oh. through. Which will, you know, if we're sitting down here in four years' time, we'll be talking about the French as fav- as, oh. as close to favourites. And I think the Welsh are slightly above England. And I think South Africa have got a big game in them, and and I, I love their enthusiasm and and the energy they're bringing. And uh, Australia are behind all of those at the moment. But if they manage to get, but if back, you look at the players available, yeah. it's just a question yeah. of getting them back into the right whatever frame of mind, tactical formations. And they're in that, that is, yeah, they're in that difficult group where they will play Fiji first, and Fiji won't have ever had much prep, so Australia should knock them over. But then that final group game, which is Wales versus Fiji, that's an interesting game. Mm. If if Fiji keep all their, their they players, keep all the players fit because they've probably. got some serious world class talent. Yeah, what would you like to see in two thousand and nineteen if you had a magic wand? Oh my god, I'd like to see rucks are actually a lawful. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a start point, wouldn't it? Because that's I mean everyone's fed up of me talking about this. It's a runaway train, and you know we've we've allowed this to happen over a number of years. We need to deal with it now, and I know they won't to, till after the World Cup. You know, that's how it is. And, you know, we will get some more significant, serious injuries, unfortunately. I'd like to see that. Clean it up. Simplify that. There was some interesting stuff that back and forth from a couple of people on Twitter talking about changing the gate, entry gates at breakdowns to make it a wider and therefore apply law to stay on your feet a little bit more. I think whether that's right or wrong, I think we just need to think a bit more laterally about what do, what do you want it to look like? And then, then, then get the laws to fit around mm. that. Because at the moment, it's just dreadful. And you can, you know, people are off their feet and they say that's because the jackal has got his hips, but you know, all these various things. It's just a, it's just a mess, and it's a mess at age group. You go and watch fourteen under fourteens, under fifteens, just a bun fight. So that, that, yeah. in summary, Brian, that would be me. Well, each year World Rugby seemed to have a particular law in mind to, to reinforce. A couple of years ago, it was the challenge for the ball in the air. There were, I, when people are making a lot of fuss about the tackle height I just remind them that two years ago they were saying all sorts of things about the challenge in the air and now players which they can do because they're very bright and they're infinitely adaptable they now know what to do and it's no longer an issue yeah. and it won't be with a tackle yeah. Yeah. and they're right to try and drive it down I would just like them to, to bring the law in I don't see what the point is in having a trial you know you, what, it's not going to have a negative effect it's because the sport is very very pragmatic and risk averse at the top end that's mm. why so they don't want to put their head on the block but they will they will bring that down i think players are now 
much more aware of it, much more aware of the reason. Yeah. What we need from officials is as much consistency as is possible, given that they're all human and, well, most of them. And uh, the fact is that you can't, you know, game to game predict, you know, one interpretation to another. I, I, I would just like to see as much as is possible referees, certainly at least within games, their own games, being consistent. That's yeah, all. I agree. And it's, it's, it is that. I understand totally about highlighting the high tackle, but it's kind of hard when sometimes you watch Munster versus Gloucester in the, in the European and Danny Ciprone gets sent off for a very innocuous challenge. Yeah. And I know, okay, they're clamping it down, completely ruined that game. And then you look at some other stuff that's gone on where it's yellow cards and because it's not highlighted, because there's not an onus on it. Yeah. And it just, that seems out of sync. Well, time now to speak to someone who might be able to do something about that. Uh, it's Nigel Owens. He's on holidays, interrupted a holiday. In Lanzarote, I believe, to uh, speak to us. Hello, Nigel. Brian, how are you? Happy Christmas to you, first of all, mate. Yeah, I'm same, I'm same to you as well, and a happy new year when it comes around. Thank as you well. very much. Now, I, I, I could scarcely believe. Well, I, well, with you, I could believe it actually. That what you've been doing recently. Tell us about. Is it an acting career or singing? What have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> or probably dancing, if, if I. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far. No, no, just a bit of a. Bit of pantomime, uh, but sort of a voiceover because obviously I wasn't able to be in the pantomime because of refereeing commitments and stuff. And been doing the the Jonathan Show challenge. We were cooking for fifty people and then raising money for Valindra Cancer mm-hmm. Care, which obviously is, is such a, a worthy worthy cause, which touches all of us, you know, in, in some stage in, in life, unfortunately. So um, yeah, that's what that's what I've been doing really. And I was refereeing then. Um, a Bollywood film, if you would believe it or not. Um, an Indian rugby team that came over to play the tournament in, in the UK back in 2007, under-14 side they were. And yeah. against all the odds, they went on to win and they beat a South African wow. uh, side, under-14 side in the final. So they make a film about it. Where was that? It's back in 2007. Um, and the final was played, I believe the final was played somewhere in Wales, I believe it was. So They, they were, came all the way they from were India and ended up in Wales. Yes, they did, yes. And they um, and they reacted it then. Um, and the final was being yeah. played in Parker Scarlet this year, uh, obviously in filmed. And then and I had the, the privilege and the honour of, of refereeing the final for him. So it was it was a wonderful experience, really. And it was wonderful to see how passionate, you know, these, these Indian kids were about rugby. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to me about games that I'd refereed and games that they'd watched and players that they liked and stuff like that. And it was wonderful. You know, they were very, very passionate about it. And it was, yeah, it was great. It's a wonderful experience. See, that's YouTube for you, Nigel. Nothing you ever do now is ever lost. Just remember that. Uh, 2019, I asked Ben the same question. If there was a a change you could make in rugby in uh, 2019, do do you know what it would be? I don't think there's much you can change within the laws, really. You know, Ben probably going to disagree with me here in some aspects of it. Uh, there's certainly maybe areas of, of, of the game that, you know, maybe we can look at as referees, whether we need to be firmer in in refereeing those those laws. But the laws and stuff are there. And I don't think as much you can change, really much you need to change as far as the laws go, because the, the law is as good as it is, I, I believe. There are a couple of things maybe that you can tweak and have a look at. Um, but I think the one law that I would like to change is, is when substitutions is allowed to use because I think, you know, when you've got eight subs oh, on the no. bench, you've pretty much got more than, than half a team on the bench. And then once they come on second half, it's stop, start, stop, start. So I would like to see the amount of substitutions reduced myself personally from eight. I don't know, maybe down to five to start with and mm-hmm. see how it goes. And also when you can use them in the game as well. You know, you either make substitutions at half time 
or, or that's it. You know, you can't just do one substitution now, five minutes in the second half, and then two minutes later you do another one because the second half then does lose a bit of its continuity, I believe. So that's one thing I certainly think they'd, I'd like them to look at and see maybe if there's anything we can do regarding substitutions. Nigel, we've also got you on for something else because we've teamed up with Dove Memplus Care, who are the official suppliers to the England and Ireland international teams. And this year, they've been celebrating the spirit of rugby with the Telegraph, lauding those who've gone above and beyond with an outstanding act of care on or off the field. Now, uh, you've been filmed in a video on uh, an act of care by Bill Beaumont. W- what was that about? Yeah, I and mean, look, there's many, many rug- people in rugby from, from the very, very top of the game to the very, very grassroots community game who do so much unsung, thankful work that keep the game go- going at all levels, the work that they don't really have to do. Um, so there's so many of them, and it's nice when they do recognise people from the all levels of the game. And that's what they did with, with, with Bill Bowman, really, is when I had some homophobic abuse in, in Twickenham, which is not the, the best of experience to have back in 2014 in the game between England and New Zealand. Um, you know, Bill Bowman sent me a lovely handwritten letter saying, you know, um, how important it is why that I continue to do everything they can to, to get rid of that from, from rugby and then hopefully we'll get rid of it from society. Tell us about the moment you received the letter. Yeah, the, the letter that Bill sent me was handwritten, which always is a bit more personal and special, I think. And um, I was reading the letter and I actually had, you know, tears in my eyes uh, when I was reading, when I opened the letter from him. And, um, you know, Bill is one of, the, one of the greats of the game, you know, on and, and off off the field and a true, true gentleman of the game, which, you know, which carries rugby's values with him everywhere he goes. And one of the genuine great men of, of rugby, really. And uh, it was hugely, hugely um, rewarding to see him being awarded the, the knighthood um, the other day, you know, in something that he thoroughly, thoroughly deserves because we need men like that in rugby. We've had good men in rugby and we will continue to have good men in rugby. And, and it's good that people like that are, are recognised. So, so Bill, you know, was was quite rightly um, so in, in, the, in the video with, 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 with the Dove Men Care in what he did in, in sending that letter to me and, and all that he does in, in the game as well. And it is no doubt, you know, when I was thinking at the time, do I really need to carry on with, with this? You know, with the refereeing when stuff like this happens, because it does get you down. Um, and then you like Bill then sort of comes along and sort of encourages you, no, look, keep on going. And then you keep on going. And then a year later, you do the World Cup final in Twickenham between New Zealand and, and Australia. And um, so, yeah, I, I would be forever indebted to, to Bill and then everybody concerned, really, uh, the way that they dealt with that, in particular the RFU as well, and on all through world rugby, really. Well, Nigel, you won't say this, so I can say it. you're one of the similar men in rugby whose contributions are. Uh, felt wide, not just for refereeing, but for other things. Can I wish you all the best for 2019 and thank you very much. Thank you, Brian, and all the best to you as well. For listeners wanting to see this video, then head over to tgr.ph forward slash Dove Rugby, where you can also see equally exceptional acts from Australia's Scott Fardy following the 2011 earthquake in Japan and why England rugby star Jack Noel cares so much about the RNLI. The link will also be in the show notes for you to see. The man inside the shirt with Dove Men Plus Care. 100% designed for men. Could I just record our acknowledgement and congratulations to Sir Bill Beaumont on Doddy Weir OBE on their honours too. Very well-deserved, interesting. The whole system, some people thoroughly detest it. Some people really like it. Unfortunately... For all the good awards, there are bad awards, and that's a shame, isn't it, Ben? Mm, yeah, it is. I, I love it when I see, you know, somebody that's been given a, 
uh, an award that then you, you you know they've been working for 50 years in the NHS or they're working in yeah. city schools and there they're, are those given yeah they Absolutely. are those given they're the ones for me get should get the headlines but in sporting terms and built bills you know I give rugby world rugby a hard time sometimes around a few things they've also done some magnificent things and Bill steered that ship um and yeah, you've you know, got an honor haven't you I have got an honor in Fiji yeah um this yeah what are you allowed to do with it? Everything? I don't know. Freedom to roll, stroll wherever you like. I've got a few a few things that I'm allowed to do, although I think my chiefly, because I've got a chiefly status there, that gives me that gave me land and the great council of chiefs and all that Ooh, sort of stuff. As much cover as you want to drink, <laughs> if you can. If I can. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's well, Richie's deserved by Bill and, um, and, and also Doddy. Doddy's doing some amazing stuff at the moment. Mm. You know, how much energy he's got. Yeah, he's he's just brilliant. I started reading his book, and that's also outstanding. Uh, yeah, uh, so so two good awards there. Well, that's all we have time for this week, and indeed this year on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. If you've been a regular listener, thank you very very much. If you're here for the first time, please subscribe to the podcast because that way you'll never miss an episode. And if you leave reviews, that will help us reach other people. Thank you very much for my co-host Ben Ryan. Not just for this contribution for previous ones and as always and for the whole year Abby Patterson thank you very much enjoy the new year 2019 is all yours let's hope that you get everything you want and not just what you deserve goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.